My name's Dan, I'm part of the leadership team here at the church. It's great to welcome you here today. And, and just to say one extra thing just to add is the, um, as, as we approach the gift day and, and on evenings like Full View, we, 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 we talk about raising, oh my, all right here? So I just keep talking. Um, we just we, we talk about raising lots and lots of money, and we're aware that actually for, for many people in the church, actually that's a, that, that comes with its own struggles because it's a reminder of actually I, I don't have a lot, and it's not about what we come and we and it's not about sort of we're not coming to God and saying oh this is all the money I've got. It's about us being faithful with what God has given us and 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 being sacrificial and generous. But we realise for for people in the church actually that we all walk through difficulties, and we're aware, especially at the moment with the you know, cost of living and some of the struggles that um, we wanted to create spaces where we can really uh, help, uh, help each other get a grip of finance. And so uh, one of the things we're doing is, is actually tomorrow um, we launch what's called the, the CAP Money Course. Uh, so that's going to be running here for four weeks every Monday afternoon. Um, and this is just going to help give people the, the, the tools to be able to manage finance as well. Um, and so if you're struggling with finance, you're thinking, I just want to get a grip of it. And I, I'm just, you know, we, we believe stewardship is a really godly principle. That's why you know, Jesus talks a lot about money because he says where, you, where, where, you, you, where your money is given is where your heart is. And so as, as a church, we want to steward what God has given us well. And, and, and I know that in every season, there are different challenges. So if you're feeling like, actually, if I, I really want to get a grip of my finances in this season, I just encourage you. Um, tomorrow, we start at one o'clock. Um, just turn up here, turn up here at one o'clock. I know for some people who are not able to do that, we will be looking uh, later in the year to launch one in the evening as well. Um, but do, if, you, if you're struggling, or if you're like, I just want to be equipped better, come here one o'clock tomorrow for our money course. And today we move into a, a new uh, teaching series, which is going to take us through to, uh, to May called um, The King in His Kingdom. And if you're with us during the autumn term, we looked at the book of, of Daniel, which is found in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, about how we live as uh, citizens of heaven here on earth. You know, throughout the Bible, God's people are described as, as, as exiles or foreigners or sojourners, and, and we live in this world, but our loyalty is to a different kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. That living as foreigners in this world brings challenge because the way of the kingdom and the way of the world often collide. We've considered that that was what we spent the autumn term considering, is how do we live faithfully to Jesus in a culture that is opposed to him? And the stories that we read about from Daniel happened 560, 600 years before Jesus' birth. At this point, God's people are suffering in Babylon. That's the context to which the book of Daniel is written and fast forward 600 or so years, and, and God's people are no longer living in exile. They, they've returned to Jerusalem, but the, the Jewish people, God's people, um, are, are still waiting for the victory and the freedom that God had promised them. So when Jesus was walking the, the earth, Jerusalem, the rest of Palestine, that region was occupied by Roman rule. Uh, but the Jews, they were living with this promise that someone would come who would bring justice and freedom for God's people. Passages like Psalm 2, 7 to 9, it says, You are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron rod, you will dash them to pieces like pottery. The, the Jewish people were desperate for someone to come to lead God's people to victory over the Romans, to sort out all their problems as a nation. 
And one day, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and he visits the synagogue as he would do every Sabbath day, and he stands up and he reads scripture. The, the Sabbath services, they, you know, they were believed, we don't have a lot of detail, but they believed that, they, that it involved some singing, some prayer readings, reading the scripture, someone explaining the scripture. They were gathering for their weekly service. Jesus was in his hometown. He was really well known. It was only a small place. You know, we say town, it was more like a village at the time. And Jesus gets up and he is handed the, the scriptures. Now, it's very easy for me to read from my Bible today, but they were in big scrolls. Um, I did think about making one and then I quickly realized that I am really rubbish at craft. <laughs> so I saved you from that embarrassment for myself. But Jesus gets up and he is handed this scroll uh, written by the prophet Isaiah. And, and let's read what happens next. This is, Isaiah, uh, this is, uh, sorry, this is in Luke and this is from Luke 6. No, sorry, Luke 4. What am I talking about? He stands up. This is Luke 4. He was, ha- so sorry. He went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus gets up and he reads from Isaiah 61. This passage written by the prophet Isaiah is all about this messianic promise that the Jews would have known all about. This was a promise of judgment for the enemies of the Jews. Finally, vindication for them, for a promise of victory and freedom. But what Jesus does is he, he, he quotes, he reads from Isaiah 61, but he leaves something really important out. You see, in Isaiah 61 verse 2, it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus reads. But then he misses out the next line. And the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus doesn't say the bit about vengeance, or you might be more familiar with words such as revenge or retribution. He declares the year of the Lord's favor. What Jesus is doing is he's opening up the kingdom of God wide. His message is not one of judgment, but it is one of hope. Jesus' kingdom was not going to now be exclusively for the Jews, but it was going to be for everyone. In Luke chapter 3, earlier we read about John the Baptist. He's declaring that the kingdom of God was near. And so at the start of Jesus' ministry, he's saying, no longer is the kingdom of God near, the kingdom of God is here. And then throughout the book of Luke, there is this message of the kingdom of God, that it has arrived. And Jesus says again and again, the kingdom of God is here. And over this series, we're going to look at what it is to live in the reality that the kingdom of God is here. That the waiting for the Messiah is over. That Jesus is the one who brings the kingdom to earth. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, uh, 
speak, there is this word, Jesus speaks about the kingdom. He gives this picture of what it is to live in the kingdom. As followers of Jesus, we have a king, and his name is Jesus. Over and over again, Jesus speaks about the kingdom and then invites us to experience the life that is found following the king of that kingdom. If we're going to live faithfully as exiles, just like Daniel and like all we looked at in the autumn, then we must have our eyes fixed firmly on the king to know his voice, to follow his ways. And as we explore Luke, we're going to get to see what living, uh, following this king looks like and how we can live faithfully now in Hull in 2023. But before we get to the rest of Luke and all that Jesus says, I want to spend today looking at what the kingdom of God is. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. If we're going to faithfully do that and we're going to seek the kingdom of God, then we, know, we need to know what the kingdom of God is. Because you see, the kingdom of God is much bigger than your relationship with God. You know, when we choose to follow Jesus, we make a personal decision. There was a day when I surrendered my life to Jesus, when I stopped walking in one direction, where I repented, I accepted the gift of, of grace. Jesus died on the cross for me. I walked back into relationship with God. But our faith journey does not stop there. Now things are right with God. I am saved for eternity. Now I just wait for myself to die. That's not what happens. No, we step into the kingdom. We become members of a, a community, of a local church. We act as Christ's ambassadors to the world, inviting them to come and follow the Jesus that we have encountered. Being part of the kingdom of God is recognizing that we have a king and that changes everything. Now, kingdom language is not something that we're too familiar with because although we, you know, we live in the United Kingdom, we, we have a monarchy. Uh, that is a, the role of our king is mainly a ceremonial one. You know, King Charles gives uh, authority to politicians to, to make decisions, decision makers who make daily decisions that affect us. And most countries that have a monarchy now have this kind of ruling, a king or a queen who are a ceremonial head of state. The number of king kingdoms in the world has, has decreased over the years. There was, there's now five places in the world where you will find a country that operates as a kingdom where a king or a queen carries all the power. I did some research. Bunai, Eswatani. Who knew Swaziland was now called Eswatani? Oman, Saudi Arabia, Vatican City. And how they all operate is slightly different, but it is a king or a queen, a head, ruling over their people with all power. Now, sometimes that's used for good, sometimes that's used for bad. And so when the Bible speaks about the kingdom of God, it is speaking about a kingdom where God exercises his authority. A kingdom... The kingdom is the place where what God wants gets done. So when we read Jesus, reading from Isaiah 61, and then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, what he is saying is that kingdom has arrived. The kingdom of God is here, and I am the king. Now, immediately the Jews struggle with this because they knew who Jesus was. He was in his hometown. They knew he'd grown up in Nazareth. They knew he was Mary and Joseph's boy. How can he now be king? 
Jesus lives his life declaring that the kingdom of God has arrived. Suddenly, the things that were not possible were now possible because a new kingdom has arrived. When Jesus turned up, water turned into wine. When Jesus turned up, the sick got healed. When Jesus turned up, even the dead were raised to life. The rule book had been ripped up because a new kingdom had come. And the Jews were watching this. They were seeing the kingdom being outworked. But the problem was, they were waiting for this victory that God had promised them. And yet they were saying, it's not not fully here yet. They were planning on having a Messiah who would lead them to victory over the Romans. Lead them over the victory over their oppressors into a time of blessing. And instead, Jesus came and said, the kingdom is here. And instead of me leading you triumphantly over to, to victory into a time of blessing, what he's actually inviting them into is a life of suffering love, which would ultimately lead him to the cross and his death. It's not that appealing for them. Even now, one of the main reasons that the Jewish community don't believe Jesus is the promised Messiah is because the world looks as it does today. If Jesus really brought the kingdom, then why is the world such a mess? But as Christians... We believe that what was meant to happen at the end of history has happened in the middle of history at the cross. That the judgment of sin happened not at the end of history, but the middle of history at the cross. It happened then so that we can walk free, we can be in relationship with God, and we, can ne- we never have to worry about what happens when we die. That's really good news. Honestly, it is. You can tell your faces, it really is. You know, this week, I I sat with someone who is living with a cancer diagnosis. And as I sat with them in their, their living room, you know, of course they wanted healing. But there was such a confidence in who God was, of what Jesus accomplished at the cross, that cancer does not have the final say. You know, the kingdom of God has come. The verdict has been given. If you know Jesus, your sins have been forgiven at the cross. If you are a follower of Jesus, you know where you are going when you die. The kingdom, but the kingdom of God is not just a future event, but it is breaking in now. Miracles are happening. Healings can happen today. The spirit of God has been poured out on the church. We get to see the kingdom in action. But we also don't see a fullness of it because Jesus hasn't returned. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. This is the now and the not yet of the kingdom. The kingdom has come. Our sins have been forgiven. We experience the kingdom in a measure, but it is just a measure because one day we will see a fullness. And that means people get healed now, but we still die. That means we get to enjoy blessing, but we still go through trials. That means we get to be part of this God's family together, but we still make mistakes and hurt each other. That means that we have times of abundance, but we also have times of lack. When Jesus returns and the kingdom is established fully, That won't be the case. We will have bodies that will not get sick. We will see glory without blemish. We will be united perfectly as humanity. 
We will never have any needs because our needs will be fully met in Jesus. And so why did the victory happen in the middle of history at the cross? Why did it not signal the full establishment of the kingdom of God? Why did Jesus not come back when he raised to life and say, the kingdom is here, now let's enjoy it? Well, Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. There is a gap between the proclamation and the victory. The proclamation is that Jesus has died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He has rose from the dead. He is alive today. And yet that good news has not gone to the ends of the earth. There are still people who have never heard the good news of Jesus. When it does go to the ends of the earth, then Christ will return. He will deal a final blow to the enemy and will establish the kingdom fully. Now, the future of the church and the future of Christ's return is a, a subject called eschatology. Just turn to the person next to you and say eschatology. Just turn to the other person and apologize for not picking them first and say eschatology. And I don't want us to be scared. We don't need to be scared of biblical words. We don't need to be scared of biblical I'm a... I'm an East Old boy. I went to school on Bilton Grange. We don't need to be scared of biblical words. I sometimes used to think, oh, it's used to scare me walking into, oh, I just ignore it all, all those biblical words. A bit too much for my simple mind. Eschatology is just speaking of Christ's return. And the danger is, is that Christians, we can either have a, 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 an underrealized eschatology or an overrealized eschatology. We're going to go deep on this. Underrealized eschatology is where we live in the not yet of the kingdom. We know Christ is coming one day, but we don't expect him to be breaking in today. We, we can faithfully love God with all our hearts, but we don't expect God to speak to us. We don't expect the Spirit of God will rest on us. When we gather as a community, we don't really believe God will be amongst us. We don't really believe that God will move as we go out and live faithfully as followers of Jesus. We have no expectation for now because our hope is completely in the future. That's an underrealized eschatology. Christ is going to return and well, that's something that's going to happen in the future. An overrealized eschatology is when we live completely in the now. The kingdom of God is here, so everyone I pray for will be healed. God will speak to me constantly. I will see breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. I will declare that by the blood of the Lamb, I will see victory over your victory. I am more than a conqueror in Christ is probably your favorite verse. Yeah. Now, it's the now and the not yet. It is about finding a balance between those two views. It's expecting God to break in, but not assuming we know what he's going to do. I recently heard a term that I loved about this. It's expectation without agenda. Expectation without agenda. We show up as a church we show up in our workplace with our family and friends, and we know that the Spirit of God is in us, but we don't dictate what God does through us. 
We get to partner with God as he advances his kingdom. I got sick and tired of praying prayers where I just say, God, would you bless what I'm doing? I've seen God do far more when I say, God, could I partner with what you're already doing? It means we are expectant and reliant. It means we are confident and longing. It means we are patient and hungry. The kingdom is here and it is coming. We can experience it today, but we also know a better day is coming. And so our role as followers of Jesus is to carry this kingdom into the world, to share the words of Jesus as we preach the gospel, but also do the works of Jesus as we love our city, filled with the Spirit going out and bringing the kingdom life to the places that we go, praying for the sick and allowing God to move, caring for the vulnerable and allowing God to move. Sharing the gospel and allowing God to move. Feeding the hungry and allowing God to move. Standing up against injustice and allowing God to move. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 13. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. When we carry the kingdom of God into the world, it permeates everything. And as we look at this series in Luke, I want our faith to rise about what God can do in our city. The kingdom is advancing, but there are thousands upon thousands of people in this city and this region that don't know Jesus. And as we carry the kingdom into our city, people are going to encounter Jesus. As we share our faith, as we pray, as we see signs and wonders, as we demonstrate being a Christ-like community. It's the now and the not yet. It's it's, it's confidently going, no, God is going with us. So we're not going to experience everything. Not everyone I pray for is going to be healed. But if I don't pray for anyone, I know no one's getting healed. So I'm going to step out and I'm going to pray, trusting God will heal in his timing as he wants, not how I want. Now, the stuff of the kingdom can sound really exciting. I want you to be excited about seeing the kingdom of God breaking in. But it also comes with a warning. Because the kingdom, the advance of the kingdom comes with resistance. And if we don't understand this, all the stuff that we cover, we might just walk out of here like, yes, come on Monday morning, let's bring it on. And then the first thing that hits us and we're like, oh, I can't do this. We never have our eyes open that the 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 advance of the kingdom comes with resistance. Jesus has won the battle of sin and death on the cross. The devil, the enemy, is defeated. And yet the final victory is yet to be completed. One day Jesus will return. He will strike that final blow. But in the meantime, we're in a battle. When we choose to follow Jesus, we enter into conflict. Jesus is in the process of driving out the evil one. But the devil, the enemy, wants to destroy those following the way of the kingdom. We're in a battle. We're in a battle with the enemy. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need to have our eyes open to the work of the enemy. One of the greatest works of the enemy is making us think that he doesn't exist not seeing the spiritual battle behind our struggles. 
As followers of Jesus, we need to be violent with the spirits that are against God, but gentle with the people who are affected by them. You know, I can only speak about the UK church as a church leader, but we've done a great job over the last few years of making enemies of people or groups of people rather than seeing the enemies work. You know, when we demonize people, we rob them of the image of God. We neglect to see how the enemy is at work. We can even do that with fellow believers of other churches or even our own church. If we don't like their behavior or their background, it's easy just to say, oh, to demonize them, to no longer treat them as image bearers of God who we need to show love and compassion to. The world tells us that we can't, but we can disagree with someone's opinion and choices and not reject them as people. It is possible. You know, it breaks my heart to hear how people have come into church community to find shelter and love and have been rejected. But having our eyes open to the, the, the devil also means that we don't have an unhealthy, excessive interest in what the enemy is doing. Sometimes we just can think the devil's under every rock. Oh, the, the enemy's against me, my washing machine's broken. Like, come on. Really? Is that what the enemy's into? Your washing machine? Um, in doing so, we don't take personal responsibility for being formed into Christ. It's easy to blame rather than to take responsibility. This is as much as to me as anyone else. So don't take it personally. But sometimes it is not the enemy at work. It's just you being a fool. All right? It's just the truth. It's just... Being in the kingdom of God is a conflict because we are at war with the enemy and we are at war with ourselves. Let's not forget that. We are invited to deny ourselves, not to be consumed by the things of this world, not to chase after satisfaction, but to daily deny ourselves and to follow Jesus. And in denying ourselves, we find the life that we were always created for. To find that God sees us who we, as we are and still loves us. That he gives us his spirit to live inside us and to transform us into the image of Christ. The kingdom of God is here. If you want to be part of this kingdom, then you have to bow the knee to the king. To say, I'm not going to submit to my own desires or the things of this world, but submit to Jesus. To not go for a life of ease or convenience, but to choose, to willingly choose to enter into a battle. It's the way of the kingdom. You know, after Jesus' resurrection, 120 or so people gathered in a room and they waited for the Spirit to fall. Choosing to follow Jesus and the way of his kingdom. It looked insignificant. Especially against the might of the Roman Empire. It hardly looked like resurrection power, but it turned the Roman Empire upside down and it's still on the move today. Stories of millions coming to faith in places like Iran and China. Let's not, let's not forget that God is doing far more. We might not be seeing it in our nation. We might not be seeing it in the Western world. But God is on the move. His kingdom is advancing. Stories, stories after story of people coming to faith. People encounter, people in Turkey. God revealing to themselves in dreams. 
people waking up and going, I need to find out about this Jesus because he's appeared to me in a dream. Amazing stuff. Same God, same kingdom, same mission. Will we seek the kingdom of God? Carrying it into our homes, our streets, our workplaces, the city, our region, the nation, and then to the nations. The kingdom of God is here. Would you stand? I'm going to go back into worship in a moment, and then what we, in a few moments, we're going to take uh, uh, take communion. We're going to break bread together, and, and and part of that is we remember, you know, we, it's, it's a moment to submit again to Jesus, to to say, I'm going to follow the way of the kingdom. I'm going to follow you above all things. And I wonder where you sit this morning. I wonder whether for some of you, you live with that under-realized eschatology. I think that's probably where most of us would probably fit. Where we kind of, we know God is alive and we know God is moving, but do we truly believe that the kingdom's coming? I'm sure there's some people who probably just need that reminder that we're not experiencing everything now, but I think the majority of us live because actually it's, it's hard living, it's hard at times following Jesus. You know, the, there's the disappointments. When you pray for someone, they don't get healed. When you walk through a difficult situation with someone, when you struggle and then you kind of think, well, where is God in that? And we need to be reminded the kingdom of God hasn't come in its fullness. If you're struggling today, know there's a better day coming. I'm not promising you it's tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not promising that, but there is a better day to come. We'll be in the presence of our Lord and Saviour for the rest of eternity, worshipping around his throne. No more sick, no more death, no more mourning, no more sadness. There is a better day to come. Lift your eyes to the King. Be reminded, be encouraged today, there is a better day of coming. But also, the kingdom of God is here now. Do we believe that we carry the Spirit of God in us. He's wanting to use us. He's wanting to break into areas of our lives where we're not seeing the kingdom in its fullness. He's wanting us to carry light into dark places and to bring the kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is here. Breakthrough can happen. Healings can happen. And Father, would faith rise in this room today? Would faith rise now that we would see you move afresh in our lives and in the lives of those around us, in our city, to the nation, and to the nations? Lord, we want to see your kingdom coming. We want to see you moving, Lord. We want to see your resurrection power being demonstrated in our lives, Lord. You want to see, bring life where there is dead, deadness. Bring freedom where people are bound. Bring good news to those who are without good news.
right now, why don't you just why don't you just make that declaration to God in your heart or out loud if you want, just to say, I'm going to seek first the kingdom. I'm going to seek first the things of this kingdom. Why don't you just why don't you just simply say, God, would you use me to bring your kingdom? Would you use me? Maybe if you're struggling to say, God, would you remind me of the future, the hope that I have? My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust on Jesus' name. I'm not going to place my hope anywhere else. I'm going to trust in Jesus, in Christ alone.